But I think we have to teach emotional vocabulary at a very young age and help our kids understand that there's a reason why when we feel angry, there's a reason we feel angry and it's okay to feel angry. It's not a taboo thing. If we're frightened, there's a reason we're frightened, but we have to take them through understanding what scared, frightened, worried means. Yeah. Those signs and those symptoms that you're showing right now, show me that you're afraid. Let's talk about why you're afraid. And then they have to identify what that trigger was. If we can help them just have those basic conversations at a very young age, they can use and not just happy, sad, mad. We need to teach more extensive emotional vocabulary. If they can identify why they're feeling that way and it's okay to feel that way, then the next step is to take them into the problem-solving thing to say, now what do I do about it? I think I think we can move our kids into an amazing place of proactivity if we can just help them do those three things right from the beginning. Hello, good day, greetings, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining True Hope Cast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. True Hope Cast, this podcast takes a deep dive into the many physiological and psychological aspects that make up mental health. This is the show for you if you're looking for motivation, inspiration, knowledge, and solutions. And that's what we are all about here at True Hope Canada. And True Hope Canada is a mind and body-based supplement company dedicated first and foremost to promoting brain and body health through non-invasive nutritional means. For more information about us, you can visit truehopecanada.com. Today on the show, though, I welcome Lynn McLaughlin to the show. Lynn served on three different school boards as a superintendent of education, a principal, a vice principal, and educational consultant. As an award-winning and best-selling author, Lynn has published both fiction and non-fiction books and is now co-authoring a children's book series with her niece, which is titled The Power of Thought. Lynn is passionate about giving children evidence-based strategies that they can use in their daily lives to build emotional intelligence. Lynn is the host of a podcast which is called Taking the Helm. It's in its third year and has over 100 guests sharing courageous stories of triumph um, after suffering crisis in people's lives. Today, though, on the show, we are going to be discussing children's emotional health and well-being. Enjoy the show. Okay. Good morning, Lynn. Welcome to True Hope Cast. Thank you for being with us today. How are you? What is going well? Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Simon, for having me. Uh, everything's going well. It's, you know, you wake up every morning and just count your blessings and be thankful for for all the people and the love and what's around you, what you've got in your life. Yeah, love it. That's a really important start to the day. Like we can yeah. certainly just wake up and slip right into our subconscious patterns and forget to be conscious and aware of all those amazing things that we do have. And that's a really energetic, powerful way to to start the day for sure. So that's great. Good for you. Um, can you just give us a little introduction, please, who you are and what it is that you do? Sure. Uh, wow. Okay. Um, I retired four years ago from a 31-year um, career in education, and I was I served in every role you can imagine in that world, from a teacher to program consultant to vice principal to principal. And I ended my career as a superintendent of education responsible for special education services, which obviously had an envelope around mental health as well. So what I'm doing now brings that educational experience. I'm also teaching still um, in post-secondary part-time. So I've had students who've started college after two years of grade 11 and 12 and being online. And that first year in college was really something. So experience that transition. I'm a mom of three adult kids. And uh, my whole premise right now is all around children's mental health and what we can do as adults to learn for ourselves 
how to model and teach appropriate skills so we can move into a proactive mode as opposed to waiting until people get so close to the ledge or the cliff that it, it's becoming a crisis response. So I have a podcast, um, just like you, Simon. Um, every time I interview someone else, I'm just inspired to keep going and tell their stories. And uh, my niece, who's also a social worker, and I have launched a children's book series. So those are my two main foci right now, um, is, is getting people talking about proactive as opposed to reactive. Such a huge point. And I think I talk about this every other podcast at the moment is talking about how we can best serve our children and even ourselves as adults, as parents, as individuals, right? Like how we can best serve those individuals to really proactively get involved way before the tipping point of trauma or disease or some sort of situation that happens and it's honestly like the big big question like how can we really get to these individuals um in a, in a wholesome manner so they don't have to unnecessarily suffer for you know sometimes decades and lifetimes so it's such a huge topic and i'm so glad that there are you know it's, it's also inspiring for me because n having these conversations each week knowing that there are people out there who are you know out there trying to do something about it and using their years and decades of experience to yeah. to do that how so how long were you involved in like education like as a, as a teacher and as a head teacher and as a superintendent like how how long was that career well it's still going because i'm teaching part-time so i guess i'm on 35 years okay yeah. So, and I want to bring a personal experience in here too. So I've got the education educator hat, but I also have an adult daughter who is doing remarkably well right now. But we had a year and a half of uh, HE double toothpick where we were afraid for her with uh, debilitating anxiety. So all the lessons I learned as a mom at that time, and my husband as a father of what we shouldn't have been doing and what we could have been doing. And um, I, I also bring to the table for an open conversation. So so as as a head teacher as a teacher during that 35 years of, of experience what support have you had from your superiors and from let's say you know the government education services like what services have they provided or support or education during that 35 years like is it like just starting to come good has it been poor the whole way has it been non-existent for 30 years like how what's yeah. your experience been with that support element i would say about 10 years ago about 10 years or so the mental health piece has really come into it slowly but surely in ontario we have 70 something school boards and we're all under the same curriculum we all you know we do it that way the mental health supports we have um we have mental health supports in every single school now. And I want to go back five, six years that started. And in my role as a superintendent of education, uh, so we have educational support staff. We have social workers. We have psychologists. We have these people who are implied by the board. And I would say the professional development that was done over the last 10 years and continues to be done uh, was it has been pretty exemplary based on where we were at that time. Uh, when I was a superintendent, uh, the, the, and it's still the case, I mean, we've done a literature literature review on the levels of anxiety uh, in Ontario, in Canada, and around the world, and it's growing exponentially. Um, so we, we moved to put child youth workers in almost, I think they're in every single school in my previous school board now that serves 35,000 students. And CYWs are trained specifically on how to support children who are having mental health needs. And it may be a safe person to check in with every day. It may be somebody who just understands that they need a break or they need to, 
you know, do something or only take three courses in high school instead of four courses in high school. I, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect. Um, I think we still have a lot of things we can do proactively. I would love to see mindfulness activities happening in every single classroom. Um, I'd love to see meditation taught in every single classroom. I'd love to see us move into a proactive place. Um, and we do teach emotional vocabulary in early years, but I'm not sure we're doing enough in teaching specific evidence-based strategies to our children. Uh, it's sporadic and it's not consistent. Mindfulness is yeah. being taught in some classrooms, but that's by teacher choice, right? Yeah, that would be such an incredible way to even just start class or start school in like a, you know, coming into the class and having a transitional period from, you know, being asleep, being, you know, being awake and then moving into a classroom setting. What in kids in particular in school, why do you think, I mean, we can say this about a small community or the province you're in or the country that you're in or worldwide, but like, especially within kids, like, why do you think school kids and this level of anxiety is just like, is just rising and rising and rising all the time? Are there any particular things yeah. that you think, because you think that like, the, the better we get at you know, innovation as a, as a species, as a culture, like things should get easier and things should be getting better, whether that's like within the technological standpoint, within learning, within, you know, medications, within healthcare and nutrition and food, like all these things, like we know so much about all of these things, but we see rises in not just anxiety within teens, but we see rises in just like literally all disease. So is there any particular like points for the, those school kids and that rapid increase? Because we see it around the world, like there's, there's no hiding. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, we may not have enough time, but uh, and this might not be popular, but I'm just going to say it. We're the biggest problem as adults. We really are. I mean, look around us, Simon. Look at the negativity, the anger. That's the modeling that our children are seeing. And they're seeing it, you know, even if you're in a home, excuse me, I've got a bit of a cold today. Even if you're in a home that you are modeling mindfulness, that you're present, that you're having open discussions, all around our children, in social media, whatever they're exposed to, they're faced with this negativity. Turn on the TV at any time of the day, right? That is all around them now. Um, and I, and I'd like to see the tables are turning and I'd like to see there's more positivity coming through, but really it is a matter of what they're engaged with, who they're engaged with and how often. So I, I think, and we as adults, because I'll make a confession, I'm from the suck it up that buttercup generation. We didn't talk about how we were feeling. We didn't, we just did what we had to do, you know? And so a lot of us have trauma, unresolved trauma that we haven't dealt with ourselves. So how do we as adults know how to model strategies to teach our four, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds so they have the problem-solving skills to face everyday situations that right now are shutting them down. Um, so that's two big pieces. The third piece is we're, we're trained to be reactive as opposed to proactive. We wait till we get the letter in the mail in Ontario. Oh, it's time for your pap smear. Oh, it's time for your mammogram. Oh, it's time for your you know, we're waiting when you're 50 years old, you can start to do this. When you're 40 years old, you can start to do that. We wait to be responsive. We watch our children when they have symptoms and say, wait a minute, something's something's up here, and then try to help and guide through the symptoms. 
We need to be moving before that time and teach them when their brains and their emotions are still building and developing so that they, like I said, they can have those tools. But how do we do that when we weren't taught those tools ourselves? So, oh, I could go on and on, but those to me yeah. are the three big, those are three really big components in, in why so many of us, adults, teenagers, children, we have, we have day treatment centers for five-year-olds, Simon. We're doing something wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously a huge topic, and um, that parental negativity that you're talking about, there's obviously a root there, right? There's a root why the whole world is anxious and depressed at the moment, and yeah, social media and and mainstream media as well, like certainly have have a part to play in that. You know, that the idea that you know fear sells and yeah. they don't have to be truthful with it which is just mind-blowing to me that we don't have any type of um you know standards when it comes to reporting news and having a responsibility to making sure that it's not completely wrapped up and bound bound up in fear which you know obviously engages a certain part of our brain which you know makes listening to that information kind of addicting and we're, we're in this yeah. constant state of survival and our nervous system can't even contemplate the idea of doing meditation or being conscious to our surroundings and our emotional state when we're mm. con consistently in this you know reptilian re re reactive um brain it's so so difficult mm. and yeah we could certainly go on about like the root of those um those 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 negativities because there are there is an external source coming in from all angles which makes it very very difficult for a lot of people to be able to recognize the negative influence that they will have on their children and other people around them you know that's talking about like energy and frequency and like you know how we yeah. how we are in the world like that's obviously a huge big thing but we have to end up like if you want to change and we want to change this we have to start taking some personal responsibility we have to start learning we have to start reading and we have to start being more aware of the things that we're thinking about the emotions that we're we're having and the, and the behaviors that we're exhibiting and there is an amazing group of people out there and foundations and organizations and books that you know are certainly doing their very best to support this it's just it's just it just really sucks that it's not just like a big mainstream government push to like help mm. people literally get their minds and their bodies better then they're able to like make better choices and that's going to you know um develop those younger generations coming up with more resilience with stronger mindsets with all these skills and abilities and traits that's just going to um evolve them as individuals and then involve them as as a community and then you know when when you have that combination you you know you you create great things yeah i i don't i want to i didn't even mention COVID. i mean we can we can go on and on about COVID, but the stressors that we as adults endured during COVID and still are to some degree, the losses that many of us have suffered, you know, that some, there's a lot of trauma that happened in the last two years to adults as well. You know, my mother used to say stealing from Peter to pay Paul to make ends meet. But I think if we, we, if we be, if we can learn to just be, and this is my, my mission, making conscious and positive choices. If we can be more aware of what we're doing in the moment and stop that negative reaction, especially in front of our children, walk away, go for a walk, scream at, scream at nature, do whatever you want to do, but keep that connection, that positivity and that presence with our children right there. We can make the biggest difference in the world. You know what? We all have our stressors, but I think we have to, we have to try to, what's the word? 
we got to we got to draw a line to who we show those to and who we don't. And I, we are human. Uh, so, I mean, I guess I want to say there's nothing wrong with saying to your child if you've just like had an argument, your teenager. I am so sorry. I've had a terrible day. I should not have taken it out on you. I apologize. We model self-compassion. We model ourselves as being human. And I'll tell you, over time, your child is going to see that and respond in a more positive way as well. We're not we're not unbreakable. We're human. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, th I think responsibility always comes up for me in these conversations in regards to, you know, you can you can make mistakes and make errors, but, you know, you have, we have to be responsible for them and and standing up and saying, yeah, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake there. I should not have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have, done, you know, all those things. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, that's one of the key things I think is missing from, you know, even just like young kids is that that level of responsibility that we can give them because, you know, even at very young ages, kids are incredibly competent and incredibly smart and very creative and can do all these incredible, amazing things if we you know, give them the skill set to do so. How do you think we start making those positive and conscious choices, especially when, you know, most of us walk through our day like 95% like unconscious we're just like doing these things that we've just done every single day for years and years and years and we don't actually have a conscious thought or a conscious feeling or a conscious behavior towards these things so it's very very difficult for people who are like habitually just pro literally programmed to react respond and just be in the world in a certain way like how do we begin because that's literally trying to change your brain it's a very difficult thing to do because we can't see the change happening in our brain like we could if we were going to work out we'd see the muscles change and we yeah. can see it it's very very different when you can actually see it how do we start to to make those those positive and conscious choices like what's the beginning stages of that well, I, we've all been on the treadmill. I'll call it a treadmill, a treadmill that you're going to fall off of. I got stopped dead in my tracks in 2013 with a diagnosis of brain tumor. Um, you know, and and I believe that everything happens for a reason. And I, I retired from my full-time career. And that's when I really learned to say, holy cow, you've just been on this treadmill for far too long. It's affected your health. It's affected your relationships. Um, and that's when I started to say, and it was collaboration and listening to podcasts and things that got me moving that way. I think the first thing is we have to learn. And you've already mentioned that Simon, you've got a podcast where you're helping people to, to learn new ways and new ways of thinking. We have people modeling it all around us, but what do we do first of all, to resolve our own trauma? And so, and that could be listening to other people. It could be just having a, a conversation. It's digging deep. But if we can wake up in the morning and just take five minutes, five minutes to say, and you know, we talk about gratitude and all those things, but how is my cup more full than empty and wake up in a positive mindset to carry on through the day? It makes all the difference in the world. Because if you wake up and you've hit snooze, 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 you're running, you're showering, you're out the door in 15 minutes, <laughs> your day's not going to get off to the best start. So I think it's how you start your day. But we also have to learn those evidence-based strategies. We have to learn how to model these problem-solving skills for our children. And the perfect time is between, you know, you start, you do read-alouds at a very, very early age. By the time they're six, seven, eight, nine years old, they are taking it in and they can learn those strategies. So um, my niece and I, who's a social worker, have developed a children's book series. And the feedback we've gotten from adults, because your question is about adults, has been thank you. I didn't know. The first book is called I Have Choices. Well, you know, Simon, we would all say, 
all right, well, you got a choice. Go make a choice. It's not as simple as that. We have to teach the kids what the strategies are to move forward. First of all, to identify why they're feeling a certain way, what that emotion is, and then how to actually make a choice that takes them in a direction that lessens that fear, that anxiety, that anger or whatever, and gives them a positive outcome. But we don't know how to teach it, many of us, because we're not social workers. We're not psychologists. It's not something that we've been involved in. We didn't learn it when we were kids. So maybe I kind of went off on a tangent there, but. No, that was great. Yeah, I think that. I think that we have a big misunderstanding of, of our actual biology in regards to emotion and how we have a lot of control over it if we sure need to, right? Like, you know, there's, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of philosophy, but also a lot of science in regards to like the benefits of being able to, you know, create that space to actually respond rather than to react in the short period of time and how much responsibility and power we have over our emotional state and therefore our nervous system and therefore a lot to do with our health you know if we're in this sympathetic fight or flight nervous system for a long period of time yeah. every single part of our health is going to is going to suffer so again being able to teach kids at a young age and they're able to understand this at such a young age that they have these strong emotions that come up and you know it's you know you can't expect as an adult to that a child is going to have the experience you have with particular emotions and that they should just like, you know, get over it or bottle it up or like not react like that. Like that's insane, especially if like, you know, like a young, a young kid. So we certainly have to learn ourselves as adults or relearn um, our connection to our emotional states. And of course, like, you know, how we, how we are in the world, our kids are going to pick up on that incredibly. So yeah, that's a huge piece. Um, and that's amazing. You've written, written a book about it. We can talk, we can talk about the book and it, it towards the end of the podcast, because I sure. think that'd be an important resource for people to, to check out because books, stories, such a wonderful way, not only to just connect with your kids, but you know, telling stories is like one of the oldest things that humans have ever done. So it's a, it's a great mm -hmm. tradition to, to keep, keep going forward. Um, just talk to talk about like physical and mental health. How do you think moving into like a positive, proactive mindset ends up supporting both of those? Because, you know, mental health, physical, physical health, you know, different, but obviously interconnected. Like, so how do you think we can start? How, do, how does moving into that proactive mindset start supporting both of those parts of our health? Well, we're connected. Our bodies, our souls, our spirit, our emotions, they're all connected and they're connected to the universe, right? We are all connected to each other. So that positivity, once you put it out, it's coming back at you. Might not be right away. You know, it has that pay it full forward kind of thing. But if we can, if we can intentionally, not just in the morning when we make up, be present. So how many times, Simon, let, let's ask the people who are listening and viewing, are you at the dinner table and uh, your family's sitting there with you, but your mind is here, your mind is gone. It's it's thinking about all the things that happened today or that going to happen tomorrow. If we can intentionally be present in that conversation, then we leave with, oh my gosh, I'm connected to my family. You might not be able to express that, but you feel that way. If we can take five, 10 minutes to do something that we enjoy every single day, I walk, I walk in nature. I listen to some amazing uh, playlists that are all about confidence building, that are about connective. Con if we can do something, maybe it's a bath, maybe it's, then we start to bring some physical um, health to ourselves. It's all connected. So if physically we're out walking in nature and that is making us feel good and, 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 and building our hearts and um, in our blood, you know, all of those kinds of things, that's going to, it's all related. It's all connected. 
And then if we can be present, we might notice in nature some of the things we've never noticed before. You walk right past that, uh, you know, the the geese that just flew over, you know, heading off on their migratory route. You might not have noticed that before if you're in your house just every... Uh, okay, so I'm just throwing out some ideas and what matters to you that gives you something that you will physically and emotionally enjoy and you will see a difference if you make that part of your daily routine. Yeah, I think the nature piece is huge because I think that's the only real place where we're able to actually quieten the mm. outside world and you know that sensory overload be it from a screen or just like traffic or just just uh -huh. noise yeah. like it can be so hard to be able to actually quiet quiet in your mind to able to be able to put yourself in a position to be able to like put your energy back on you and, mm -hmm. and sense what's going on for you and yeah stepping into nature is without question one of the most powerful ways in which you can do that and it's actually highly researched in regards to anxiety and depression and mental health in general is to like you know yeah. get outside and if you can add some like some some like exercise or movement into that process as well like it's only just gonna support your health even further but yeah absolutely like especially when you know i've got two young kids and i have to remove myself from the situation at some points because it can just get overwhelming and it's got nothing mm -hmm. to do with my kids it's got nothing to do with that it's just like i've got a limit of like what my body can kind of like tolerate to to a level before i start moving into that reactive state and i know that reactive state isn't me and i don't want that to be um i don't want that to be like a the, the prime example of who i am because that's just not me mm. so yeah i take myself out of that situation we you know my wife and i will, will take 15 minutes if we need to just get outside get some breaths and and you know just kind of like reset and recalibrate because that's what the nervous system needs right and and just that even that five ten minutes can be just so profound in regards to coming back into the situation and maybe making apologies or just resetting your energy yeah. to to teach to teach your kids that you know, that, that, that 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 happens to adults too you know and it's a normal that's part right. of life and we're you know we're, we're the same and yeah and ultimately yeah we're, we're teaching them through our own example and i think it's a very, very quick and simple way in which you can yeah, exactly start becoming conscious and start becoming a bit more of a uh, responsive individual rather than a reactive. And yes. yeah, nobody really enjoys those reactive individuals, especially when it's just like that's all that they are all of the time. So and if I can yeah. make the connection to my daughter through her year and a half of debilitating anxiety, she got through it, not through traditional um, you know, cognitive behavior therapy or anything like that. She actually refused it. She started heading out in nature. She joined team sports again. She joined a gym and she started to become aware of what her triggers were and could shut down that. Okay. That's, that's the crazy person talking in my mind. I don't, I shouldn't use the word crazy, but that's the irrational person talking in my mind. No, no, I'm going to shut that person down and then, and be consciously aware that, Hey, hold on and take it off to a new direction of a positive way of thinking. Um, so it's made a difference to her on the other end, close to the ledge too. So, and I want to jump in with conscious decisions about what we do as adults every single day. How much social media do we let into our lives? How many times do we find ourselves scrolling and scrolling and scrolling mean in seeing meaningless, stupid, ridiculous things that make no no difference to us when we could actually be connecting or taking care of ourselves or walking, you know, shut it down. I shut Facebook. I took Facebook off my phone. I still use Facebook for my business, but I took it off my phone because it was just getting crazy. Like seriously. And then you get sucked into these conversations that you want no part of, but you start to be, start to feel this way. 
we can consciously decide how much we let in and how much we push out and how much news we watch every day and what we watch and what we listen to. And that will make a huge dis um, difference in your lives. If you don't let it in, it's not going to affect you in a negative way. Yeah. And our, our biology is not designed to intake so much information and mm -hmm. light and have those types of thoughts when we see these things, like we're not designed to do it. And, um, yeah, I think it's important that when we do like your, your daughter's example of, you know, going to the gym and, and, and being in nature more and, and connecting with team sports, you know, like that's such a healthy way to, um, get out of that cyclical mindset of those thoughts that keep coming up for us. And, you know, we shouldn't believe everything we think, you know, like a lot of neurons, <laughs> a lot of neurons just fire just to fire. And we think that we're thinking these things and we, you know, which we have control over them and we give them way too much attention that they need. And we don't actually digest those thoughts that come up for us, but yeah. being with other people and having conversations with other people and moving your body and, you know, doing and changing your environment, such powerful, very, very simple, cheap ways mm -hmm. to uh, completely change, you know, going from an anxious person to, you know, I, I don't want to say normal person, but a person that doesn't experience anxiety as a standard throughout their whole day, which is just like an unbelievably debilitating thing for a lot of people. Um, can you recommend any resources for parents to help um, teach their children skills in regards to like life? Um, because I think it can be tricky as parents because I don't know like a lot of parents might think that those types of skills are supposed to be taught in school uh, or they, mm. they, they expect the school to, 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 to teach this set of things. And then I'll do these things at home. And I don't know how much community, I mean, my kids are still, still super young and I'm not too sure about where they're going to go to school and, and what they're going to do yet. Like I haven't figured yeah. that out yet, but you obviously want to be aligned and you, you know, you want to be aligned with the school and what they're teaching. You don't want to be contradicting. You don't, you know, you want to be obviously a big part of that. Not always, not always, not always possible, I suppose. But like, what can we do as parents, like with like resources and exposure to things that's going to start like giving them actual like proper life skills, you know? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be concerned about doing something in, uh, in contradiction to what's being taught in the schools when we're talking about emotions and mm. understanding our emotions and making positive and conscious choices. Because there's not a teacher that I know that, you know, if you've got a child who's struggling with behavior, there's always a purpose to the behavior, right? So you got to figure out what that is. Again, we're reacting to something that's already started within that child. But everyone wants kids to be successful as a whole person in their whole well-being. We have a responsibility as parents and adults, any children in our lives, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, or whatever, to model those kinds of things. We have to learn them ourselves. So I do have on my website a whole mental health resource page. Uh, there's a wonderful organization called jack.org, which is for teenagers themselves. So I'm going a little bit ahead of you. But, you know, I think if we reflect, reflect on ourselves or what do we want to teach our children in terms of morals, in terms of guiding you know, the difference between right and wrong, we all know that that's ingrained in them by the time they're eight years old. They're developing their moral compass by the time they're eight years old. So we shouldn't be leaving that to the school system to do as adults. So, I mean, uh, do I have a resource? No, I don't have one resource, Simon. I think there are, oh my gosh, millions of, of, of books out there of, of, um, oh, what, what I want to talk, community groups of social engagement activities of 
you know, I, I don't know what four-year-olds go. Do they go to childcare? Do they go to a play group? Do they go where these kinds of skills are being taught? But I think we have to teach emotional vocabulary at a very young age and help our kids understand that there's a reason why when we feel angry, there's a reason we feel angry and it's okay to feel angry. It's not a taboo thing. If we're frightened, there's a reason we're frightened, but we have to take them through understanding what scared, frightened, worried means. Yeah. Those signs and those symptoms that you're showing right now, show me that you're afraid. Let's talk about why you're afraid. And then they have to identify what that trigger was. If we can help them just have those basic conversations at a very young age, they can use and not just happy, sad, mad. We need to teach more extensive emotional vocabulary. If they can identify why they're feeling that way and it's okay to feel that way, then the next step is to take them into the problem-solving thing to say, now what do I do about it? I think I think we can move our kids into an amazing place of proactivity if we can just help them do those three things right from the beginning. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. And I think that's so profound in regards to what we can do as parents, like even from such a young age to to start helping our kids develop into the into the people that they that that they're supposed to be. And I think, yeah, I think you're what you said about success was quite interesting because I think that um we should reassess or just assess as parents what we think that means. Like mm -hmm. we all want our kids to do well and to be successful, but like I don't that's so broad. Like, what does that even mean? Like if you ask my wife and I that question, <laughs> we want our we want our kids to be just happy and kind. That would be success, you know, that would be success. So it's like, and I think that we obviously want to do best, do our best, do the best we can for our kids to, you know, get them in the best possible, but get, getting some clarity on that, right? Like yeah. if your goal is to um, have kind, happy children, you're going to have to be the example of that. You're going to have to be the role yeah. model of that. And that's got to be a part of your language and it's got to be part of their language because, you know, like there's a, there's a period of time where they're going to learn a significant part of their, you know, emotional being. And it can be quite tricky, like from a certain age, like if you're not to say if you get it wrong, but like mm -hmm. if, if, yeah, if you get it wrong uh, as parents, then um, there's going to be a lot trickier, like down the road to be able to like adjust that or tweak that. It's obviously all possible. The brain is such an amazing thing to do and kids are incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, do you think that there's a lot of um, benefit from really establishing what you and your partner um want to i don't want to say get out of your kids or how you want to sculpt them you know because they obviously they're their own individuals oh. right but like there are some obviously key things that we want to instill in our children that's going to oh, for sure. um propel oh, for sure. propel them to become the individual that they want to be are there any particular like traits do you think are, are really important oh uh, imagine a world of empathy where mm. not only are we are we empathetic people, but we can recognize when a child beside us in, on the playground is upset and then be able to respond and support them. You know, empathy, self-awareness, self-compassion, these are all the components of what we call emotional literacy. Imagine a world where our children are starting to become those people and what that would look like in 20 years from now as our adults. Um, yeah, I, I just think I just think there's so much potential here if we can move into that proactive, proactive place. My mind was going, uh, Simon, with several things I wanted to say while you were talking there, but um, 
yeah, I think we have to learn as ourselves as adults and having that conversation with your partner, your family, whatever it's going to be. I don't think there's anybody out there who says, I want to, I want to raise a child who's going to be angry and, um, and violent or right. We all want what's best for our kids, but we have to be aware of what we're modeling for them. Yeah, and, you know, and sometimes Sorry. that means you're going to push negative. You're going to push that negative. Some people might have to be pushed aside. Some people might, you know, you might have to close the door on some people who are bringing, um, the kinds of, um, um, experiences to your child that you don't want them to have. Yeah, That's absolutely. That's yeah. Tough, and especially it, if it's family. That's it. Cer it certainly <laughs> is. Absolutely. Like making those yeah. boundaries is, is, is very important when you've got like multi-generations of individuals involved yeah. in the raising of kids, then it can get, it can get messy pretty quick, but yeah, I think that yeah, as a parent, you have to kind of take the bull by the horns there and take the responsibility because at the end of the day, you're the parent and you might want to do things in a different way. And like there's every generation has a different, st different style and adaptation of parenting, right? Like we primarily parent how we want to parent. And every culture too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. very important as well because, yeah, there's mm -hmm. many different things that come into that cultural aspect of things. Um just to kind of finish off, I'd love to ask you about like um, what motivation can we provide people that think that their personal circumstances are t just too much for them to to get over, especially when it it comes in the way of like obtaining the dreams or their goals or the things that they want to do. Because we were talking about it before about how our thoughts can just create mountains which seem impos impossible. So, what do you think that? Now, what kind of advice or motivation that you can provide to help those people in, in that in that position? Well, that's a huge question to end with. But I'm going to say right right the top of my mind, baby steps. It's, you know, you can't think I'll go back to when I had my brain tumor. And yes, this is a concrete example, but I think it applies to everything. You one little baby step in six months time, if you add all those baby steps together, the the growth that you have had in that time will be you'll just be blown away by how far you've come but you've got to identify where do you want to be and then what are the steps to get there and the first step might be simply waking up in the morning and not and leaving the phone off for 15 minutes and doing something that you enjoy doing and you do that for two weeks so to me it's it's where do i want to be and then figuring out how you're going to get there and you might need some help you might need to start listening to some podcasts you might need to uh take a course but what are those steps to get you to where you want to be? And I don't think you should be thinking five years down the line, set baby goals for from now to six months. Because when you take that baby step, the difference you're making to yourself, the people around you are going to see as well. So that positivity, right? It starts to permeate. It starts to spread. So those baby steps make all the difference in the world. I'll go back to when I woke up from my craniotomy, I could not even sit up in the bed. Five days later, I, later I was going home. I was walking back and forth to the uh, to the lounge. I failed my cognitive assessment before I left, but that's okay. Five days later, and then a month later, I was walking to the other side of town and back. So baby, baby steps. Maybe you can take bigger steps. Maybe you can do something in a day and then say, "Hey, that worked for me," and I'm going to move on. Um, but that mountain can be climbed. You just got to do it one step at a time. And that's a cliche. Oh, I don't like cliches, but. That's what came to mind. You've mentioned a mountain, so <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I love that, and I think that you can actually look at look at those big changes that you want to make. Obviously, you know, if you've gone through like a you know brain surgery and a brain injury, 
you obviously have something to recover and you've got to take steps to yeah. to literally create the new tissues to create to create something new and i think you could probably use that as an example of you know like i've got something here that's maybe injured maybe i'm just like way too judgmental you know maybe i'm a little bit injured in that area i need to heal that and i need to i'm not going to just do it right away it's not going to be an yeah. overnight type of thing you know i have to be delicate with myself and understanding and empathetic so taking i think baby steps and small steps is the key to yeah. making like good quality habitual change rather than you know like like diets for example where it's like you know you're just like try and make you just change your whole life for two weeks and then yeah. you you know then it doesn't work out right like it's the complete opposite of that and uh, a very very valuable piece of information thank you and and let's not wait for the brick to hit us on a, on the head, right? I mean, that's what I mean about being conscious. If we can now, right now, whoever you are, wherever you are in the world, if you're listening to this podcast, if you can identify something that you want to work on in terms of your emotional health, intelligence, your overall well-being, your physical, your mental health, if you can do that now and not wait for the door to slam in your face or something like I, I had to endure for a year, wow, you're being proactive for yourself and everyone around you don't wait yeah proactive is a big key to all of this um can you tell us about tell us about your book series because i love books yeah. i love stories and yeah let us know a little bit more about that what are they called what well, did you write them? who are they for just just really quickly i i my niece was uh, in her master of social work program and i was really bothered after what my daughter had gone through why like how this is happening to so many people around me why how can we be proactive and i called her while i was walking and i said amber Will you write a children's book series with me? And she was blown away. And so we now have the third th three books of the five book series done. It's called The Power of Thought. We created a fictional planet with, with beings that are not identifiable by, by gender. The planet's made of crystals. The beings are all named after crystals. And every single book teaches in a really fun, fun way an evidence-based strategy. So the first book is called I Have Choices. So basically, Zerko, who is the main character in the book, flies out and sees people playing a game that he's obviously gets very worried about. And that's something that every child can relate to. But then we take Zerko through um, by teaching a series of, all right, why are you feeling worried, identifying what it is? And then what are the possible choices you have? And then we walk, walk them through the possible choices. And the book ends with Zerko making a choice and feeling great uh, about themselves. And then the second book is what I'm thinking true. And that's about all the, all the stuff in our head that we've got to weed through sometimes and a process to do that. And the third book is I can check my senses and checking your senses. If you can get into a routine and we try to teach children this of, I'm going to identify five things around me that I see. What we're doing is we're bringing them to a state of being present and mindful and so that's a strategy. And then it's, I can calm my mind and if you, and the second book and uh, yeah, we're very, very excited about it. What's the age group for, the, for those books? Well, the reader aloud is great for four-year-olds, five, six, seven, but we're finding the, this children that are really taking in the strategies and, and everybody's different, right? Everybody's at a different developmental age, but um, eight, nine years old is, is, is excellent. And the adults are giving us the feedback saying, thank you. We, we didn't know we didn't know how to do this. We didn't know the, how to teach our kids these strategies. So, I mean, that was a surprise to us. And I shouldn't have been because, you know, as I learned from my niece, the social worker, I learned a lot of them myself too. So. Yeah, that's really cool. What a great way for um, you to be able to connect with your child and go through those together and learn together and, and yeah. do that in a, 
like non-emotionally volatile space because that's sometimes usually when we're aware of the emotional states of our children is when it is in like a wild place and that's just kind of like the worst time to educate or teach or sit down and do those things so it's very wonderful wonderful tool to be able to do that where can people find that book and where can people connect with you uh they are at anywhere books can be bought, but my website, lynnmclaughlin.com, if uh, we actually have a holiday giveaway right now where we're giving away three books with a set of crystals, you can sign up for that. Or if you want personalized books, you can order directly from my website or through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere that you can buy books. And if you're in Essex County, Ontario, they're in all the local bookstores too. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that information. And I'll make sure that there are links in the show notes so people can, can, get on get on top of that and, and learn more but lynn thank you so much for coming on to true hope cast today i really appreciate your time thank you my pleasure my honor thank you very much for having me of course well that is it for this week on true hope cast thank you so much for listening i'll make sure that all the information necessary to connect with lynn and connect with those awesome books will be in the show notes so and don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet you can also leave us a review on itunes if you wish but that is it for this week we'll see you soon <laughs>